This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. In the zone on a sports radio, 1150 KSAL Tuesday. I am Jackson Schneider in studio. For once in a lifetime, or once in a week it would seem at least. I'm joined by James Westling today, and we've got a lot to get into. We'll be joined by George Stoya of the Denver Gazette here shortly to talk some uh, Colorado Avalanche, Denver Broncos, all that fun stuff. He covers it all in the Denver area, so we'll be sure to pick his brain about a variety of things. But James, I want to start today with sort of the top story And it involves the Big 12 Conference, because as we know, a few months ago, uh, Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12 Conference, announced that he was going to be stepping down in the near future. Well, it came out late last night that the Big 12 is going to be targeting Brett Yormark to be its next commissioner. Uh, It was originally reported by Sports Illustrated, but Yormark is the COO of Jay-Z's Rock Nation, uh, which is... Uh, he was previously the C- co-CEO, and Rock Nation Unified is a, a global licensing division within the agency, and uh, it's kind of a, a newer approach to conference leadership. It's not so much that he's centered around being in college athletics, but it's more of a, a promotional side of things and, and player development, brand development. He's, he's kind of a, a an off-of-the-radar typical, I guess, uh, candidate for something like this. But it seems to be pretty well-received because it seems like the Big 12 is clearly making a move towards branding itself better, developing itself as a conference, and also developing deeper NIL connections and information and all sorts of these things but it's again it's going to be potentially this is all a report it hasn't been officially announced by any means but brett yormark of rock nation it's an interesting name one that i hadn't heard but i gotta tell you jackson the more i read about this guy the more i like it and the more that I'm here for it. And I think that this will further kind of blur the lines between sports and entertainment and name, image, and likeness. And I'm not sure that the Big 12 looks this uh, towards his direction if name, image, and likeness isn't such a, a key role now in college sports. But he's thought of as one of the more connected and bright executives within the entertainment agency industry. He was promoted just this past January to COO and President of Business Operations and Strategy, and the current CEO, uh, CEO of Rock Nation referred to him as a quote fearless leader. So, you know, Rock Nation has absolutely exploded. I mean, it's not that old, and he was a big part of that. And you know, I think that the Big Twelve needs kind of a splashy hire when it comes to the entertainment industry to keep par with the other Power Five conferences. But it is a very um, non-traditional hire. You know, when the Big Ten hired uh, Kevin Warren to replace Jim Delaney, he was a former Minnesota Vikings executive. He had professional sports team and collegiate sports team experience. And Yormack does not. 
And he enters the industry, as I noted, at a very volatile time when it comes to the Power Five conferences, name, image, and likeness, conference realignment, etc. But before joining Rock Nation back in 2019, he spent 14 years as the CEO of BSE Global. And that's a company that manages the Barclays Center, which the Kansas State men's basketball team has actually played at several times within that 14-year span, and the Brooklyn Nets. And when you look at those two uh, organizations, you have to be pretty excited about that because the Barclays Center has turned into one of the top venues for non-conference NCAA men's basketball tournament games. Uh, the the ACC plays a lot of uh, uh, of their games there, including their actual conference tournament has been played there during that span. Um, he brought in Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, and the Nets moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn under his watch because of the contracts that he was able to negotiate. So I think from a negotiation standpoint and just what he's been able to, to, to do to expand the organizations that he's been at, it's pretty exciting. And like I said, I, I think that you know whoever the new commissioner is, is going to have some big shoes to fill because I felt like Bob Bowlesby went out on top. He did his part. He kept the Big 12 alive when it looked dead in the water 10 years ago. And then with Oklahoma and Texas out the door, uh, very recently, he adds four very well-respected schools in the college sports landscape. So I think Bob Polsby said, you know, I've done all I can do. Time for me to step down. But I think your Mac, who's only 55, which is young when you talk about commissioners at the Power 5 level, uh, I think he's a pretty intriguing hire. He, he certainly is. And this article that I had read um, from ESPN brought up an interesting point that he's not – he wouldn't be the only Power 5 commissioner that doesn't really have a background – in college athletics, and it specifically references the Pac-12 commissioner, George Klievkov, who had been serving as the president of entertainment and sports at MGM Resorts International for three years. Um, but it, it's kind of pointing to the fact that this is an interesting time in college athletics, specifically for conferences like the Big 12 and with the, the changes in the league, like you mentioned, with the, with the new additions of BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati, the Big 12 is at a really important time because you can't just add these new schools and expect it all to be you know sunshine and rainbows. There's got to be development there. You have to continue to elevate all the other schools. You have to elevate the brand and, and continue to push this thing forward. But it seems like with this guy's experience, that's exactly what the Big 12 is shooting for with this hire. And it seems like a lot of the Big 12 member institutions are all on the same page in that, uh, despite the fact that they're going to be losing Oklahoma and Texas. It seems like they're going to trudge forward in kind of a new direction, uh, but a more modernized approach. And I think that's exactly what a league like this needs. Uh, but I want to pivot off of this a little bit further uh, and and talk about kind of a newer age because there was also a, a bit of a development from the ACC announced earlier this morning that they're going to be scrapping their divisions. Right now, it's two divisions of seven in the 14-team football league, and it's going to change to a 3-5-5 format, which sounds a little bit interesting. Um, at the surface level, when you break it down, though, it makes a lot more sense. But basically, every school is going to have three teams that they play 
every year alternating sites. So, for example, I think Pitt's going to be playing like Boston College, Virginia, and and another team like Syracuse or something like that. This isn't exact, but that's how it works. But then the rest of those 10 teams that they would play in the league, they get five one year, five the next, and then they go back to the first group of five to different locations and so on and so forth. So you get every school at least in a three-year span and and you still get to preserve those annual rivalries. And a lot of people think this is how the Big 12 is going to pivot starting next year when they welcome in these new members as well. That's why I bring it up. Uh, But it's still going to have a championship game. It's just going to take the top two teams in the standings by win percentage uh, instead of the winner of each division. And I think that this is much more likely as you get into these bigger conference makeups that we're going to be seeing a lot more here in the near future uh, because divisions... Although it's very easy scheduling-wise to use divisions, oftentimes you see one a lot more top-heavy than the other, and it kind of takes away from the championship game excitement because it's not always the best two teams, whereas here you get as many of your key games as possible throughout the regular season, and you're still going to have the two best teams available come championship game in December. And I think that this is... It's very likely we're going to see something like this from the Big 12 as well. I just think it's good that they're not the first to announce this change uh, because the ACC won. They're already ahead of, of the Big 12 in the size of their, their conference right now. This is a next year change. Um, and the Big 12's got a year or so to try and catch up and figure this out. But at least they don't have to be the guinea pig, so to speak. Yeah, and and this is a real similar scheduling model that these larger conferences use for basketball, including the ACC. The ACC doesn't have divisions when it comes to their basketball schedule, and this is basically a carbon copy of what they do for basketball. And I think it's the future. I think it's the way to go. You know, you you um, hold on to those rivalry matchups, like you said. Duke's going to play North Carolina every year. I think the three teams that North Carolina is going to play is Duke, NC State, and Virginia. They're they're, they're three biggest rivals every year in football. And I'm with you. I am actually against, when it comes to football, and and maybe even basketball too, I'm against divisions for the same reason you said. You know, you look at, and, and I like to use Kansas football actually as an example because when KU was really good in the the late 2000s you know the year that they went 11 and 1 or whatever it was they didn't play the three best teams from the south but what that meant was the very next year when they went 8 and 5 they had to play the top 3 teams mm-hmm. from the south because the Big 12 alternated and when you had divisions not only did you have a lot of lopsidedness between the north and the south or whatever conference it is you see it in every league the east and the west or however they divided up but also sometimes you see a ton of division within those divisions which can mean a very lopsided football schedule one season compared to the next. And a a great recent example is Nebraska in the Big Ten. Last year, they played Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State from the other division. This year, they play Indiana, Rutgers, and Northwestern. So Nebraska's schedule has completely completely flipped from last year to this year, which is a big reason why I think they're going to be a lot better, not just in terms of the product on the field, but wins and losses. So you see it everywhere, is the point that I'm making. And if you eliminate divisions and you keep those rivalries, 
and you just kind of rotate the schedule through, I think that there's a greater chance of eliminating some of that. And you get much better conference championship games, mm-hmm. which you mentioned as well. You know, the Big 12, back when it was a two-division league, Colorado made the Big 12 championship one year, and I think they were 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. You know, it, and, and you see it a lot even recently in the ACC, which is probably why they're at the forefront of eliminating divisions. Clemson has played some really weak opponents in the ACC championship game over the years because that other division just wasn't very good. So uh, I'm a big in, in favor of doing it this way, and I love the fact that the new Big 12 has the two best teams every year in the conference championship mm-hmm with no divisions and everybody's schedules pretty much the same. Yep, that, we are on the same page for the millionth time, <laughs> which is good. Uh, but we got to take our first break. When we come back, we'll be joined by George Stoya of the Denver Gazette. We'll talk some Colorado Avalanche as they just won the Stanley Cup. But we'll also talk some Denver Broncos with George right after this. So stick with us here on In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. I'm Jackson Schneider alongside James Westling on a Tuesday. We're powered by Hometown Outdoor Power in McPherson, Salina, and Minneapolis. Make sure your mowers are still ready throughout this hot summer. If you're needing to mow your lawns after all this rain we've had lately, get your mower service with Hometown Outdoor Power. Go to Hometown Outdoor Power. Dot com. Again, Jackson Schneider and James Westling here with you today, but a, a new guest, a fun guest joining us, and it's George Stoya of the Denver Gazette. George, first off, thank you for joining us to talk all things Denver today. But, I mean, to start, has the party stopped from that Avs championship on Sunday? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I, I would say the party has not stopped, uh, and I don't expect it to stop for a while. Uh, obviously, you've got the parade coming up here on Thursday, uh, and obviously, I mean, I mean, I was out even last night and, and saw some people um, obviously celebrating. Everybody's got their their championship T-shirts. The signs are all over the city, so it's definitely not stopped. And and I, I think it's it's well deserved, right? I mean, 21 years is a long time to wait, and obviously, this is a an Avalanche team that uh, even in in recent years that has really been a team that I think a lot of people thought were contenders and and where you had disappointing, you know, ends in the second round there for three straight seasons. And uh, for them to finally break through this year, and, and obviously uh, some of those guys that <clears throat> were on that team, um, you know, back in, you know, 20, I think it was 2017, when they had, uh, you know, the worst statistical season in franchise history, you know, five years later to be lifting the Stanley Cup is a, is a pretty big deal. So people are, are really fired up here in Denver, uh, and rightfully so. Absolutely. And I mean, you, you mentioned kind of the, the postseason struggles the last couple of years, and I, I fully agree. They'd been right on the cusp here the last several years, but to finally get over that hump and not just to get to the finals, but to win it and to do that against the two-time defending champions in the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm sure that kind of adds just a whole nother level, level of excitement and, and pride in all of this just to, to do it in the fashion that they did, kind of dominant throughout all of the postseason and to really kind of manhandle the two-time defending champs. Yeah, and I think a lot of the credit has to go to, to Joe Sackick, the GM, and obviously former player who, who won two cups as a player for the Avalanche. He, he did a, a remarkable job, and, and obviously it goes back to drafting guys like Gabriel Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon, 
uh, Kale McCarr, and, and all those guys that have been with the team, Miko Rantanen, uh, that have been with the team the last few years even. Uh, but when you look at what he was able to do in the offseason and bring in you know, a Darren Helm, who's a, an older veteran guy that uh, has played any type of games before, they go out and get Darcy Kemper in free agency and trade for him. Uh, and then, you know, you look at what he did at the deadline, bringing in Lekkonen, who had four game-winning goals in the playoffs and uh, the game-winner on Sunday night and the game-winner in game four over the Oilers. And then, uh, you know, Andrew Cogliano, a guy that played a huge role in the penalty kill. So uh, Josh Manson was another guy that they went out and got. So they got all these guys at the, the trade deadline and last offseason to really build this team. And, and obviously they had those core pieces and they've had those core guys uh, for a while. But to go out and get the other pieces that, Maybe you don't hear about as much um, that eventually were the, were the guys that put this team over the top. I think that that's what makes it so sweet is uh, knowing that they were able to go out and get those guys and find those final pieces that maybe they've been lacking the last few years and why they haven't been able to get over the hump. And uh, obviously it's going to be interesting to see what they do this offseason because I think, you know, again, all those core guys are coming back, but they are going to lose some key pieces. Uh, Nazem Kadri is a guy that has obviously played a big role for them. He's a free agent. Uh, Nachushkin, who who had a great Stanley Cup final, he's a free agent. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see who they bring back because I, I think they're the odds-on favorite to win it again next year. And as you guys know, uh, winning the Stanley Cup is you know maybe the hardest thing to do in professional sports. But I do like the Avalanche's chances again next year with you know McKinnon, Landis Dog, Ranton, and Kale McCarr. All those guys are going to be there for quite some time. So it'll be interesting to see what they do this offseason. But it's definitely one that they're going to cherish for a while here. So, George, did it feel like all these free agent pickups and trades that the general manager has made in the last year and, and even this season, was it built more to put together a run for this year or was it built more for the future? Because in, in baseball, we see guys get traded and they're basically loners for the playoffs. And then even in the NFL, the L.A. Rams brought in a lot of free agents on one and two-year smaller contracts in terms of length, but big dollars. What was the formula for the Avalanche? Yeah, it was definitely built for, for this year alone. Uh, all those guys I mentioned, Darren Helm, Darcy Kemper, uh, the trades they made, Cogliano, Josh Manson, you know, Nico Sturm was one I didn't mention earlier. Uh, all those guys were are, are, are free agents this offseason. So there's a good chance that a handful of them aren't going to be back next year. And, and obviously when you win a Stanley Cup, uh, those guys are probably going to get paid a little bit more money and, and maybe more money uh, than they were initially going to get paid. And so for them to be able to keep all those guys, it's just not realistic. I mean, they, they're going to have to eventually pay – you know, Nathan McKinnon on a long-term deal. Uh, I wouldn't be so shocked if they try to get Kel McCarr more money. Uh, I think they're going to try and keep Nachushkin. So it was definitely a go all in on this year. And I think that they knew they were really close last year. Obviously, uh, you know, you had the suspension, suspension to Kadri in that Las Vegas series that eventually knocked them out. And I think that they felt that, you know, they were a couple wins away from getting through that one and, and maybe getting to the Stanley Cup final. So uh, I think that it was definitely a play on this year. Now, now that said, when you have a core group of Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, uh, Kale McCarr, they're going to be a good team every year that they have those guys on there. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they kind of do that again and maybe bring in some different guys. Um, I think that there are a couple guys like Arturi Lekkinen that they really like that they brought in at the trade deadline that they'll try to re-sign. But um, a handful of those guys are probably going to end up elsewhere. And, and also those guys, you know, Andrew Cogliano and Darren Helm, uh, two guys that played a huge role on this team, they're they're at the end of their career. Like, I, I don't expect them 
Um, you know, this was probably the, the last best year of their career. So I, I don't expect them to be back in Denver. And uh, it wouldn't shock me either if, like, they're starting to consider, you know, some retirement plan. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, yeah, it was definitely a, a one-year let's go all in, let's go get some of these veteran pieces, guys that have gone to the Stanley Cup, maybe even won it. I think they had a couple guys that had won it before on this team. So uh, I think that the, that was the, the idea behind it. Again, we're joined by George Stoya of the Denver Gazette. Now, George, to pivot now a little bit to football as well, because um, I know that we've been kind of eyeing the Denver Broncos from here, at least lately, with the changes that they've made at head coach with Nathaniel Hackett and then with Russell Wilson obviously coming into town now. It's been an interesting off season, so I'm sure you've had to balance between the Avs and covering the Broncos here, but... Uh, as we head a little bit closer to training camp and everything, uh, first look at the Broncos. How how are things trending? Is it is the the change at quarterback and head coach? Has that all gone smoothly? Yeah, I would definitely say there's some high hopes, right? Uh, when you look at the Broncos, the last few seasons, really since uh, their Super Bowl run, they've been a, a pretty big disappointment here in Denver. And so for them to go out and get Russell Wilson, uh, and and really that seems to be you know, the missing piece or the excuse the last few years is, well, they have a good roster, but they don't have a quarterback. Uh, and so to go get a guy like Russell Wilson, who's probably a top five, definitely a top 10 quarterback in the league, uh, I think there's, uh, you know, a general excitement, right, around the team. And, and then Nathaniel Hackett obviously brings uh, a positive energy. He's, he's, you know, the complete opposite of what Vic Fangio was in terms of head coach. He's an offensive-minded guy, a young guy. He's super um, you know, energetic at practice, runs things differently. Uh, and I think there's a lot of hopes that he can kind of turn the offensive round, which has obviously been a huge problem for the Broncos. You know, even with, um, you know, guys playing at quarterback, it's just been, you know, not very efficient. So I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of hope that he and, and Russell Wilson can turn this thing around. And I, I think people are, are expecting to make the playoffs. And I know there's some talk here, um, you know, Super Bowl contenders. I'm not sure about that. I mean, when you play in the AFC West uh, and even the AFC in general, it's going to be really tough uh, to make the Super Bowl. And, and, and you guys know that and everybody knows that, that it's, it's extremely tough to get there. And um, But I, I do think this is a playoff team. And it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because that division is, is just ridiculous. I mean, I, I said that he's maybe a top five quarterback. Well, he, he could be the third best quarterback in his division uh, when you talk about Herbert and Mahomes and you know, even Derek Carr had a really good year last year. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch. And I think people are excited because they, they are going to win football games, right? Like the, I think that they're going to be a contending team to make the playoffs, which I'm not so sure you could say that about the Broncos the last five or six years. Which returners on the offensive side of the football do you think will benefit the most from kind of this new offense first mindset? Definitely Jerry, Jerry Judy. Uh, he's a guy that obviously drafted in the first round a couple years ago. And we've seen flashes and glimpses of him having, um, you know, the ability to be a Pro Bowl type receiver. But he just really hasn't had the quarterback or even really the offense uh, to help him, you know, succeed. And I think, you know, his rookie year, he had a nice year, I think over 800 yards receiving. Last year he was, you know, I think he missed six or seven games with an ankle injury. Um, so that really hindered him. And, and obviously you had the Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater situation, and that didn't help. Uh, and so when you look at a guy like Jerry, who's still young and, 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 you know, looks phenomenal in practice. I mean, last year in OTAs, I was like, this guy is, uh, might, might be the best player on the team, uh, just the way that he looks. So now to have a guy like Russell Wilson, who's throwing him the football and obviously a, an offense that's designed to 
you know, throw the deep ball and, and get guys open. I think Jerry is, is someone that could have a huge year. And, and really that's all the wide receivers. I mean, Cortland Sutton uh, had an up and down year last year and obviously coming off the ACL injury. Uh, I think that he could be a big contributor. KJ Hamler uh, is a guy that we haven't seen a ton of yet. A real speedster, a guy that, um, you know, can beat you over the top. And, and I think that when you talk about Russell Wilson, his, his, you know, top talent is probably the deep ball. Uh, and so a guy like him could really benefit as well. So I, I would really look at that wide receiver room that really hasn't, I would say, probably underperformed in the last few years. I think that now that they have a quarterback in there and an offensive coordinator as their head coach, uh, I think that they could really find some, some, some success next year. All right, George, I want to ask you about college football because I know that you're from Oklahoma, so you obviously know a lot about college football. Being out in Colorado now, I was actually in Boulder for about a week, uh, just a couple of weeks ago for a little family trip. And I'm walking around the Colorado campus every evening, breathing in that that cool, crisp, no humidity air. And I'm trying to think, why isn't Colorado football better? They've had one winning season since 2005. So can you help us answer that question? And, and what does the future of CU Buffs football look like? You know, that's a good question. And I, I can't say that I'm an expert when it comes to, to CU. And obviously, I grew up uh, in Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma. Uh, and, and they live and breathe college football there, right? And it's different. It's different here, right? I mean, the, the Broncos are – it's a Broncos town. I mean, that's what everyone comes to Denver for and, and what people cheer cheer for. And so I think that, one, the fan support isn't there as much as maybe it used to be. And then I think, too, is, is I think the move to the Pac-12 uh, really has hurt them. And when you look at the, the that conference, uh, they've really struggled to produce – good teams across the league, right? I mean, when you look at the college football playoff, uh, rarely is the Pac-12 being in there. And if they are, it's, it's typically Oregon. And, and uh, you know, I think USC is going to be headed on the right track with Lincoln Riley going there. But still, I think the conference might be hard to recruit to because you're just not seeing a ton of talent right now in that conference. Obviously, a lot of guys are, are going to go play in the SEC. And, and I think also uh, there's not a ton of talent, I would say, in, in, uh, in and around the state of Colorado in terms of, what there is maybe in Florida or Texas and some of those other states that obviously produce some really high-level players in, in high school. That's not to say there's, there's not good players in the state of Colorado, but you know, back when Colorado was good, they were recruiting players from the state of Texas. They were going down into the South and, and getting you know, good football players back in the 90s when, when Colorado was really good. And so I think that they need to get probably back to some of those roots. And uh, I think also, again, I think the fan support is probably not there, and, and maybe rightfully so, just because uh, they haven't been, you know, very successful in recent years. But um, I also just think that the Pac-12 has, has really struggled uh, in terms of just the, the conference as a whole. So I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. I wish I knew the answer because you're right. Boulder's a beautiful place. Like if I was a 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid, um, you know, I would love to go play there and, and go to school there. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful college campuses. Uh, in the country, I, I just think that they haven't had the success lately. And as you guys know, college football, the, dis- the disparity is, is just uh, getting wider and wider in terms of, you know, these teams and, and, and some of these teams down in the South that are really, um, you know, a, a whole level of, above everybody else. So I think it's, it's really hard in college football these days to get to that next level. Again, George Stoya is our guest here on In the Zone, but uh, time is running short on us, George, so I got one last question for you about the Broncos as we kind of head off into the sunset a little bit more towards training camp and everything. But if you have one question that you need answered 
about these Broncos as we head into training camp. What is that question, and what do people need to pay attention to about that? It's definitely the offensive line. Uh, I think when you look, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball, they've got a lot of guys back. They went out and got some pieces uh, that I think will really help them in the draft and, and also in free agency. Uh, and So I, I expect the defense to be good again next year. Then you look on the offensive side of the ball, I think, obviously, Russell Wilson is going to give them a huge boost at quarterback. I think they've got talented guys at wide receiver and tight end. Uh, you, you've got Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon back at running back. Uh, and then you look at the offensive line, and, and that was an issue last year. I thought they were very uh, up and down at times last year. And really, I would say the only spot that is secured on that offensive line is, is left tackle Garrett Bowles. I mean, he's the only guy that I would say he is for sure going to be a day one starter. And so that tells you there's a lot of spots up for grab. Obviously, the right tackle spot has been a big question mark in recent years. Uh, and then I would say that interior offensive line, they brought in a, quite a few guys. Uh, through free agency and also the draft. They also have some young guys, Quinn Miners, Natani Mute, Lloyd Cushenberry. Um, I, I think that there's some there's some spots up for grabs there on that offensive line, and it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because, like I said, I, I don't think they were great last year, uh, and so they're obviously putting in a new, new scheme this year with Nathaniel Hackett. So I'm interested to see who's going to be that starting offensive line and, and how well they gel together. Again, George Stoya, Denver Gazette, our guest here today. Hopefully again in the near future as we try to get a little more tied in with the Denver Broncos and all things Denver sports. But George, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right. You can find him on Twitter at George Stoya, S-T-O-I-A. Check out all of his stuff as well at the Denver Gazette. We'll take a quick time out here on In the Zone and be back to wrap up the show right after this. Final segment of In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 on your FM dial as well. I am Jackson Schneider along with James Westling today. Big thanks to George Stoya as well of the Denver Gazette for sitting down with us and chatting Broncos and Avalanche and and a little bit of college football as well. But James, you've got a non-sports nugget? Is that what you just said? Yes, I have a non-sports nugget to wrap up the show. And really, I just want to get your thoughts on this because I was a little bit put off by it. Okay, so I saw on uh, Instagram Reels, which is probably a TikTok, which I don't have, they were ranking the states, 1 through 50, by their natural beauty. Do you know where Kansas came in at? Probably at like 42. Have you seen this? I have not. Okay, 1 through 50, you're saying 42? That's my guess. That sounds about right to me. I figured we'd be in the bottom 10. 50th. That's Kansas came in dead last. And I pulled up another list from Thrillist.com. Same thing. Number 50, the big 5-0, Kansas. Dead last. Okay, I've traveled this wonderful nation we call the United States of America. And I can tell you that while we're probably in the bottom percentile, I get it, there are a lot of states out there that I don't want to say are uglier than Kansas because I don't think Kansas is ugly, is ugly. But Kansas is definitely not the least most beautiful state. I agree. I agree with that completely. And no offense to any listeners that may be residents of this state uh, that I'm about to name or are from there. Okay, where are we going? um, Or whatever. But as boring as you think the state of Kansas may be, 
I challenge you. I challenge you, and I, I'm very, very confident you will not f- find a better stretch than the the Flint Hills compared to any any point, any spot in the state of Nebraska. Nothing. Right. Nothing. And North Dakota, South Dakota, there's not much. I mean, sure, there's the Badlands and things like that, but I, I'm telling you, there are a lot of places more boring than the state of Kansas. I mean, we're splitting hairs here with the flyover states. I get that. <laughs> but I'm with you. Uh, I drive through Oklahoma just about every Saturday during football season. Uh, so far from what I've seen, the Flint Hills blows away anything that Oklahoma has. Now you get to kind of that southeast corner, uh, south of the Tulsa area, and you've got some really pretty lakes down there. Every state has their pros and their cons, their their beautiful parts and their uh, not-so-beautiful parts. And I've also been to South Dakota a lot. Now, I haven't been out to the western part of the state where apparently it's real mountainous and there's Mount Rushmore and all that, but I can tell you the eastern part of the state, Kansas City runs circles around it because not only is it flat and gross, it also is covered in snow about nine months out. <laughs> Out of the year so yep. um, yeah I was I was just shocked to see that Kansas was dead last on these lists this really struck a chord with you I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I'm very I'm, I'm, like I said I'm very <laughs> and, put off and by you, this. you did say you said you know every state has its pros and its cons just to like the state of Colorado I know for a fact is going to be really high on that list because the Rocky Mountains are gorgeous it's an um, amazing serene section of the state of Colorado but I promise you, the worst parts of Kansas are not equal to the worst parts of Colorado. Like the eastern Colorado, if you once you get to that state line, until you reach the yeah. Denver area, that is the worst stretch of terrain you could ever imagine. It is barren. It is ghost towns. It is gross. It is almost a desert. So I agree with you completely. Colorado checks in at number five on this yeah. list, by the way. Like I said, the, the mountains make up for a lot. I get it. Totally worth it. Love mountains. Big mountain guy here. But that stretch to get to that mountainous area is awful. Terrible. But I'm glad you brought that up because it's fired me up a little bit, Yeah, it's too. a fun list. I mean, yeah, you can, like <laughs> I said, there's actually some surprises. Like Idaho's number 16. I haven't been there, but I've, I know people that have driven through parts of that state that said it's awful. Uh, New Mexico is actually 14th. Now, I have not been to New Mexico on the ground, but I have flown over it many times, and it looked just like the inner workings of Mexico to me down there in New Mexico. It just looked brown and kind of gross and, and real deserty. But it is fascinating that in our 50-state um, country that, that every state is so unique. It is. I have a, a list for you. This is sports-related to a degree. Okay. Uh, but the NFL.com site recently put out a list of the top 15 football mascots in college football. Um, and, you know, the, the top of the list is relatively straightforward, right? Like, number one is listed as the Oregon Duck. Number two is Brutus the Buckeye. Number three is the Mike the Tiger, the live tiger that LSU has in, in a cage that they have on game days. But number seven, I think we need to give some love to because Gus the Gorilla, the Pitt State mascot, was listed as the number seven best college football mascot by NFL.com. And I think that is, one, awesome, because it's a D2 school getting Mm -hmm. some love like that, and two, because it's a Kansas D2 school even more so. Uh, But I'm curious, what is your favorite college football mascot? 
Oh, man, that's a tough one. Before I answer that, let me also just to add to your point, I saw a list of the top college basketball logos in the country. This was actually Fox Sports that put this uh, put this list together. The number one logo in college basketball was Wichita State, another non-Power 5 Kansas yeah, school. I like it. All right, best mascot. I'm really into, uh, like, the big animal mascots, like um, – Ralphie out in Colorado. That's you know, a good one. The it Buffalo was number has... six on this list. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think that one's really cool. Um, I don't get into the dogs as much, but, I mean, not a lot of schools are going to be able to trot out a full-grown giant buffalo like they can out in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's an all-timer. Ralphie is really cool. I remember we went to a K-State-Colorado game when I was younger. I was like maybe five or six, but I this is cemented in my brain seeing a large buffalo being – run out onto the field with the team, and I will never forget that. But the number 10 mascot on this list is one that I really am a big fan of, not just for college football, but for sports in general. It's the West Virginia Mountaineer, and they have, like, legit tryouts where you have to grow out a beard and be, like, a really mountainous, like, crazy guy. But the reason that it's special to me is because they carry around a musket that, like, shoots blanks, and they fire off a shot... You know, when the clock hits zero and at the end of basketball halves and whatnot. But when I was there covering KU volleyball, I got down underneath the scorer's table to plug in some of my equipment. And I found a little blank bullet from the musket. Yeah. And I have it to this day, and I think it's just the most hilarious thing because it was just laying on the floor. It was like the mascot had dropped it and... I was the benefactor, and I think it's the coolest little tradition. Heck yeah. And I now have a West Virginia Mountaineers bullet You need thing. to put it in a little case. I, I like, have I've it got in an like autographed a, football in a case. You need to get a little case for it. I have like a, a glass mug that's like a, an antique Royals thing, and I put little things like that in it. It's got like, you know, like uh, cuff links that I have that are really cool and a little lapel pin that's got the Final Four logo on it from oh, when nice. I went one time. Uh, and that now too so it's it's all in there safely kept but it, that's that's one of my favorite mascots just because it's just a wild mountain man yeah, running yeah. around the stands See, with a gun you added some context <laughs> there i didn't know that they had to try out and actually grow yeah. a beard oh and yeah be crazy yeah, yeah. that's that's the best part it's yeah you have to like physically fit that build like they put you through some weird mountain test where you're like <laughs> dressed in the test. coonskin cap and carrying yeah. around your musket and walking through the stands and this, that, and the other. And you have to have a really nice mountain man, mountaineer beard, right. too, which I think is really funny. That's awesome. Um, but, James, that is going to wrap up our show today. Good stuff. Plenty to get to um, with the college football world and, of course, with Mr. George Stoya, who we'll have back on very soon to keep us in the loop with the Broncos. Uh, so uh, any parting words, my friend? I don't think so, man. I just really enjoyed listening to George Stoya. He was fantastic from the, the Gazette, the Denver Gazette, and looking forward to having him on as a pretty regular guest come this fall for football. Absolutely. That is James Wessling. I am Jackson Schneider. We will be back uh, tomorrow. Sam and I will be out of office at KAB Day at the K, taking in some Royals baseball. But, James, you should be here in the pilot's chair tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, 5.15, same time, same place, here on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL.